So in Matthew chapter 4, we'll be unpacking the temptation of Jesus, these first 11 verses. And then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. That's an understatement. Amen? I miss one meal and I'm freaking out. Uh, I can't imagine 40 days and 40 nights. And so look what happens. Then the tempter approached him and said, If you're the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And he answered, It is written, Man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then the devil took him to, a holy, to the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will give his angels orders concerning you, and they will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus told him, It is also written, Do not trust or do not test the Lord your God. And again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of this world and their splendor. And he said to him, I will give you all of these things if you will fall down and worship me. And then Jesus told him, Go away, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. And then the devil left him, and angels came and began to serve him. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, I think we uh, ask that you would help uh, us through this passage to to kind of wake us up this morning to this, um, this unseen reality that we have a tendency not to pay attention to at all. That this unseen reality with our physical eyes is real. And if we're a follower of Christ here, then it wants to destroy us. And may, may we feel that in a right way, a healthy way this morning. And help us to see how we can resist. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So I took Conlon, uh, who is my 12-year-old. He's in seventh grade. We went on a, a little trip last weekend. And so um, usually with what I do with our boys, I'll, I'll do like a 10-year-old trip, which is kind of more of just a fun trip. We'll go have some fun. we got Davin's coming up here in a couple months. And then we'll do um, a kind of a 12 to 13, just depends on um, the kid. And we'll do a little weekend where we go and talk about sex. That's <laughs> kind of, that's not the only thing. It's kind of the running joke in our home when this weekend comes and uh, we will uh, tease throughout the week, oh, you're going to have the weekend where you get to talk about sex, baby. That's kind of, that's kind of the, the, and as you can tell, you know, Conlon really was looking forward to this talk, right? And so it's like with great anticipation. And so we do a lot more than just talking about that. Yes, that's part of it. We, we do talk about that. But one of the reasons, as well as the other pieces that we deal with over the course of this weekend, one of the reasons why we we do it when they're this age is because there are some massive physical changes that are going on in their bodies at this time, both for girls and boys. For boys, as a 12-year-old, there's this hormone 
called testosterone, amen? And it's blowing up literally in your body at this age. And there is all kinds of stuff going on in your physical body that you're, you know, you probably don't remember this, but if you do, you're like freaking out. It's like hair's growing in some weird places. It's like, oh my gosh, your voice is deepening. You've got some, there's just some things that are happening to your physical body where you need to kind of spend some time talking about it so you don't feel like you're an alien, that's what I'm saying. Like you feel like you're on an island all by yourself. I'm the only boy that's dealing with all this stuff. No, everybody goes through it, and we do a weekend where we can kind of talk about these things. The other element to this, as most of us know uh, that have gone through this stage, um, there are kind of like unique temptations that begin to come as a result of your physical body changing. Are you following me? So with this chemical called testosterone, as it gets flooded into your body as 11, 12, 13-year-old, there are temptations that you're dealing with that you didn't deal with when you were six. Can I get one amen, right? And so that's kind of part of what we do. We talk about what those are. Try to be candid and clear and open about those. This is kind of what is coming your way, and maybe you're feeling it now, but... If you're not feeling it now, you will. So we talk about what those things are. So he's, so he's kind of aware of it, that he's not like um, sort of blindsided by it. And then we, we talk about ways that we can fight, ways that we can resist, ways that we can um, prepare ourselves for what is coming. I think in essence, um, that's what's happening here in this passage. I know maybe you might think it's a really big, giant leap, but just, just kind of follow me for a second. Uh, there are no eyewitnesses to this. You get that? So all the biographies that we have, all the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're, they're based upon eyewitnesses. Matthew was one of Jesus' followers. He's one of his disciples. And so the majority of what we have in this Gospel, he's an eyewitness to. He's seen it, and he's recording it. He wasn't there when this happened. Mark wasn't there when this happened. Peter wasn't there when this happened. None of his disciples were present when Jesus went through this temptation. It was only Jesus and Satan. And so Jesus felt like it was really important that he shared this with his disciples. He told them this story. He told them about this event and I believe the reason why I told them about this event is to help prepare them for what is going to come you follow me you are going to be tempted you become a follower of Jesus Christ and a disciple of me here's what's coming I want to make you aware and I want to help you fight so just like I spent a weekend with Conlon here's what's coming Conlon this is a gift from the Lord you're growing up I know it feels really weird, but this is a gift from the Lord, and here are unique temptations that are coming your way. I want you to be aware of it. Here's how we fight. That's in essence what Jesus is doing here. I mean, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you get this. You know this. It's not like temptation diminishes once you trust Jesus. Amen? It, it's like kicked up a notch. I mean, your life is not going to be easier because you're a disciple of Christ. You can make an argument from Scripture like we already have. Mary and Joseph's life does not become easier because Jesus entered into it. It became a lot more difficult. Jesus had this amazing, beautiful scene at the baptism, right? 
The heavens open up. I can't even really imagine that, but it's just crazy stuff there. A voice comes from heaven. You are my beloved son, and I am fully pleased in you. And then he's out in the wilderness, and here comes Satan. One writer says it like this. If you've heard God's voice welcome you as his child, then guess what? You will also hear the whispered suggestions of the enemy. Look, Satan hates all image bearers of God. Whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, he hates them. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, he especially loathes you. Because your image is being more and more renewed to be like Jesus. And whenever Satan sees Jesus, then he's always reminded of his ultimate ruin. So then therefore, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you are becoming more and more like your older brother, Jesus Christ. And the more he sees Jesus in you, the more he hates, the more he loathes, and the more he's after you. He wants to destroy you. One pastor says it like this, and I don't mean to say this to create any unnecessary anxiety in your life. I'm I'm wanting to kind of wake us up, right? Every one of us in this room is one decision away from wrecking your life. Do you feel that? I mean, are you aware of that? You're one decision away from wrecking your life. And the Satan, the devil, and all of this hellish crew kind of have like a a bullseye on all those who are in Christ. And that's what he wants. That's what he wants to do. And so like I said, I'm not trying to be sort of this unhelpful alarmist. I'm trying to wake us up to what's real. This is happening right now. So all I want to do this morning is I want to take a look at this passage of Scripture. And guys, there's multiple layers here. I just... I encourage you, man, go spend some time in this text. I'm just peeling back one layer. I've got about 35, 40 minutes. That's all I got. I got one layer. Amen? You don't want me to be here for two hours, okay? I don't want to be here for two hours. I'm hungry, all right? So I didn't get a chance to eat at the feast a little bit, but I I, I just got one layer, and here's all I want to do. I want to walk back, all right, through these three temptations and make us aware of what's going on here with Jesus. And hopefully, as we walk through this, you'll begin to see some similarities in your own life. Are you hearing these voices? And that's not crazy talk, that's human talk. We hear these voices. We hear the whisper of our enemy. Do I hear it? Am I recognizing it? Am I aware of it? And then the second thing I want to do is just kind of come back and say, okay, like, all right, what do I do then? When I hear these voices, what, what, how am I to fight? How am I to resist? That's all I want to do. Let's look at these temptations. Where do we see similarities in our own life? And then what am I to do when I begin to hear these voices? So the first one is found there in verse 2. And before we jump into this, just as a beautiful reminder, sometimes we forget that or we not forget. Sometimes we downplay this because we know that Jesus possesses two natures. He's fully God and fully man. So sometimes we can come to a passage like this and think, all right, 
he was tempted, but he really wasn't tempted, right? Because he was fully God, so then therefore he couldn't sin. However, he was fully man, so he could sin, but he didn't. Sometimes we can come to this passage and, and think about it like, you know, the way I can make it relevant to me as far as like just the, is this a real temptation or not. You know, like I like Lay's potato chips. I, I do. I like them. But I'm never tempted to eat a whole bag at one setting. It's just like, yeah, it's not really attractive. It's like I don't, I mean, I enjoy them, but I'm not like, oh, I got to eat the whole thing right now. But <laughs> you put Grater's raspberry chip ice cream in front of me, Right? He's like, ah, I have trouble stopping sometimes, right? Well, this is like Grater's raspberry chip for Jesus. This is for real. He was really tempted. And it was hard. Just like it is for you. So look at the first one here, verse 2. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And so after he had fasted for how many? 40 days and 40 nights. A lot of connections to the nation of Israel here. He was hungry. And then the tempter approached him and he said this, if you are the son of God. So like, don't, don't miss this. So he's attacking first at the core of his identity. Attacking him at a time when he's really vulnerable. He's extremely hungry here. And he's attacking at the core of who he is. So if you remember at the end of the last, the, of the last chapter there, he had this great vision, like we said, and this declaration over him that this is who you are. You're the son of God. You are beloved. You are cared for. You're accepted. Man, I'm fully pleased in you. And so what does the devil do? He comes and first attacks him at the core of his identity. This is not coincidental. This is strategic for Satan. If you are the son of God, then tell these stones to become bread. So what in the world is the devil doing here? How is he tempting Jesus. Well, what he's wanting to do ultimately here is he's wanting to, to bring a wedge in the relationship between the Father and the Son. And one of the primary ways you can bring a wedge between anyone relationally is to establish mistrust. So if I can get the Son to begin to doubt and mistrust the Father, then I've established a wedge between the Son and the Dad. And it's true in any kind of relationship. If you break down trust, man, it's going to be hard to restore that. Or that relationship is going to be difficult to navigate. And so what Satan is doing here is he's coming to him and says, okay, if you're the son of God, then why in the world are you starving? If God really loves you, Jesus, and he's pleased with you, then what in the world are you doing out in this wilderness starving? I mean, come on, Jesus, this is... Beneath you, someone of such dignity and status and value. Here you are suffering with hunger. And this is unnecessary, Jesus. Why? Because you've got the power to stop it. You've got the means by which you can look at these stones and turn them into bread. So Jesus, just do it. Provide for yourself. Care for yourself. If you're really the son of God, then what are you doing out here all hungry? And look what Jesus said here in verse 4. He answered, it is written, man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes 
from the mouth of God. This is a direct quote out of Deuteronomy chapter 8. And hear me, Jesus is not saying that man shouldn't eat bread or man doesn't need bread to live. Yes, he's acknowledging that, but look, this is what he's helping us understand, that we don't ultimately live by feeding our wants. That my life is not uh, about the feeling of my own stomach or fulfilling all of my immediate desires. No, there's a, there's, a, there's a greater desire. There's a greater way that man is to be lived, and he is to live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Father. The mouth of the Father, the words of God, are to be the ones that define me, d- determine me, dictate me, lead me, not my wants, not my appetites, so to speak. And so if the Father has declared to me that I am his son, If the Father has said, he is well pleased with me, if the Father has declared to me and says, you are loved, then I'm going to trust those words and not provide for myself. I'm going to allow those words to define me and not care for myself. If If it is true that I am his son, then God will care for me then God will provide for me. I don't have to make it on my own. I don't have to come up with this by myself. I don't have to be self-providing because I live by the very words that come out of the mouth of the Father. Do you feel that in you? Do you feel this, um, this, this pull to self-preservation you know, that no one's going to take care of me. I've got I to gotta take it in my own hands. Do you, do, you, do you sense that? Do you hear those whispers? Second temptation is in verse 5. Look what it says here. Then the devil took him. And this is, this is kind of how I, based on what I kind of read this week, I, I don't think the devil actually took Jesus through the city of Jerusalem and actually took him up on a temple. And everybody's going, what's going on? What's happening here? Why is Jesus way up there? I think what has happened here is it's, it's like a vision that's going on here. Like it wasn't in the prophets. They would, they would actually see and, and see themselves go in place. You see this with, uh, in Revelation, the book of John, where, where John is on the island of Patmos, and he's been given visions, and he's walking around the city and these visions, measuring the city and all that kind of stuff. But he's still on the island of Patmos. You know, follow me? So it's, you know, in case you guys think, it's like, it's like um, uh, Lord of the Rings. Frodo puts the ring on, what happens? He has a vision. He's like walking around, his, whatever it is, but he's still right there. You follow me? That's kind of what's going on here. Jesus is still in the wilderness, and there's a vision that's given to him, and look what happens. So he took him to the holy city, which is Jerusalem, had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. Now, when you first read this, you're going like, is that really a temptation? You know what I'm saying? Is that, I, mean, I don't, you know, most people are not tempted to go and throw themselves off a roof or whatever. I mean, can you imagine how weird it would be if you rolled in here on Sunday morning and that's on the pinnacle of this roof? And you just thought, well, I guess I was struggling with some temptation today. I don't know. Let's just pray for him, right? But look, he goes on, all right? For it is written. Look, what is he doing? He's He's quoting Psalm 91. He says this, He will give his angels orders concerning you, and they will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. So what's the temptation here? What is he trying to get Jesus to do? This is what Satan's doing. It's almost like Satan's going, Oh, okay. 
if you say that you're going to live by the words of your Father, well, Psalm 91 says this. Psalm 91 says he will give his angels orders concerning you and they will support you with their hands and nothing bad will happen to you. So live by that word and jump off. And let's see if the Father will follow through with what he says here in Psalm 91. Oh, you're going to live by the very words that the Father says. Well, this is what he says in Psalm 91. So do it, Jesus. The devil wants Jesus to presume on his relationship with the Father, to act as if God were there to serve the Son instead of the Son being there to serve the Father. And Jesus responds in verse 7 saying this, Jesus told him it is also written in Deuteronomy chapter 6, do not test the Lord your God. And all Jesus is saying here is like, this is not how this relationship works. I don't put God to the test. I don't put God in my debt. I don't manufacture a situation where I think God is going to owe me. I don't put God on trial, meaning this, to make God prove whether he will do what he says he will do by something more visible than his word. Are you following me? Jesus is not going to put God on trial, meaning making God prove whether he will do what he says he will do by something more visible than his word. That's not how this relationship works, Satan. Russell Moore has a good little book called Tempted and Tried that unpacks all these three temptations. It is a really fascinating and good read. And he has a little, uh, little paragraph in there that kind of helps um, this temptation connect in our world a little bit because sometimes it's a little far-fetched, but I'm, I'm hoping you're hearing and you're feeling this to where we, we want to kind of test God here. We want to see if he's really true to his word. We want to kind of manipulate sometimes, put him sort of in our service. Look what he says here. Many of us, when we grapple with sin or when difficult times come into our lives, want to pull back the veil of the universe to see if God is really there. But faith isn't like that. Faith is believing something such as that God accepts you and loves you in Jesus on the basis of his word, not on the basis of what you can mark down and verify. Imagine for a moment that an angel appears to you and promises that you can know with certainty the existence of God the truth of the gospel, and your eternal standing with Christ. All you have to do is jump from the highest point of the temple. God will catch you. I wonder how many of us in the darkest night of our soul would take that plunge. Do you see this in you? Do you hear the whispering? you feel the pull to kind of put God in your service, kind of put him in your debt? I'll do this if you do this. Third temptation, verse 8. Again, the devil took him, similar, another vision here, to a very high mountain. And he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, I will give you all these things if you will fall down 
and worship me. So the devil changes his tactics, doesn't he? So in the first two, he says what first? What do you say it out loud? He says what? If. Okay, that's really good. Awesome, man. If you're the son of God, says that in the first temptation. Second one comes, same thing. If you're the son of God, this one he changes and says what? I will give you. So he takes him on a mountain, shows him all the splendor and the glory of all kingdoms, and says, I will give this to you. What is going to be Jesus's anyway? Right? This is where he's headed. This is his destiny. All authority, power, and glory is going to be given to him. This is where he's going. And the devil is saying, I'll give this to you right now. If you'll worship me. Bow your knee. Worship me. And then Jesus changes his tactics. Look what happens here in verse 10. Then Jesus told him, go away, Satan. In the first service, we had, had a little six-year-old and eight-year-old here on my second, uh, second row here. And, and I, I tried to bring this into literal language of what, there's, there's a lot of emotion here. And I said, Satan, get the H out of here. And they just busted out laughing, man. They just went, that was the greatest thing. And I might have to apologize to the dad a little bit later. But, but here's the thing that you got to see. This is, this is an an emotional response here. He doesn't just say it is written. He gets there. He says, for it is written. He quotes another passage of scripture out of Deuteronomy. But first he says, go away. So what is it? What, what's going on here that would, would cause Jesus to have such an emotional response to what's going on in this temptation? Well, what's going on here is that he is seeing something more demonic than the first two, because the offer before Jesus is to bypass the cross. It's to not walk in the way of the Father. And the way of the Father is the way of the cross. So if you can evade the cross, then do that. There's another time when Jesus says the same thing here. A few years later, a few chapters later, we'll get to it eventually. If you remember that conversation that Jesus had with his disciples, he came to him and said, hey, who's everybody saying I am? Let's have a little conversation. What's the tabloid saying, right? What's the inquiring minds want to know about Jesus, amen? All right, okay, maybe that wasn't funny. So, uh, but yeah, they kind of responded back. Some say you're Elijah, some say you're Elisha, some say you're John the Baptist, blah, blah, blah. And then Peter jumps in, which we all love Peter. And this is one of those times you're going, yeah, where'd it go, Peter? He says, what? He says, you are the son of the living God. You are the Messiah. And he blesses Peter for what he said. And then he goes on to tell the disciples that I've got to go to Jerusalem. I will be betrayed. I will be beaten. I'll be crucified. I will die and rise from the dead. And when Peter heard that, man, I just, I would love to see this scene because, you know, here's God in the flesh, right? Peter goes, ha, ah, come here, Jesus. We got to have a conversation, right? You're not going to die. That's crazy talk. There's no Messiah who dies. You've got 12 men. We're going to fight for you, right? That's in essence what he says. So no, we're, we're not doing it. I don't know where that's coming from. That's crazy talk. And then what did Jesus say to him? He didn't say, get behind me. Get away, Peter. He said, get behind me, Satan. Because Peter was also trying to get Jesus to bypass the cross. And that is utterly demonic 
One writer puts it like this. This is what Jesus' followers and most people couldn't understand as Jesus moved down the Roman roads toward the place of the school. It was there and only there as Jesus carried on himself the sins of the world that he could say, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler, talking about Satan, of this world be cast out. As he said in John chapter 12, it is only in this triumphant resurrection from the demonic grip of death that Jesus could have angels, authorities, and powers subject to his rule. As it said in 1 Peter chapter 3, a crossless Christianity isn't just a deficient Christianity. It's the same old Satanism of human striving. If Jesus bows down at this moment, evades the cross, then we would still be haunted by the enemy's accusations and we would still be threatened by death. But because... Jesus said, for it is written, I will worship the Lord your God and only the Lord your God. He went to the way of the cross and defeated Satan, sin, and death. All of these accusations that we feel and hear and this threat of death that we constantly live under has been done away with because Jesus went to the cross. And so... In essence, I mean, I know I'm simplifying this way a lot, but that's okay. Jesus is saying, look, I am going to submit to the plan of God. I am going to trust the plan of God, and the plan of God is the way of the cross. It's the only way that he can be defeated. And as we will see as we dive into this book, especially when we jumped into chapter 5, there is a way in which we are to live. Yeah, we're not physically going to Jerusalem and being crucified physically, but if you're in Christ, metaphorically, you have been crucified. And there's a whole new way of living that you're being empowered to live, and it doesn't feel natural. It doesn't feel normal. It feels kind of counterintuitive. The first shall be last, and the last shall be first. That sounds crazy. Love your enemies. That sounds nutty. But that's the way of life. It's the way to the real life, good life, the way that human beings are supposed to live. And guys, look, as you walk in this way, you're going to hear the whispers. You're going to hear the voice. Ah, oh, that's That's strange. Don't do that. Oh, here's an easier way. You can bypass that. Do you feel them? Do you hear them? Are you aware of them? So look, the issue isn't whether you're going to be tempted. You are. Every single one of us in this room, you're being tempted. So the issue isn't whether you are. The issue is whether are you aware of it and are you striking back? Are you awakened to what's going on? Do you hear those voices and are you striking back? Are you fighting? I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10. 
verse 13, no temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity. So you're not an anomaly. Whatever temptation you're dealing with today, you're not the only one. Hopefully that gives you some good news. But God is faithful, and he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation, he will also provide a way out so that you may be able to endure it. To endure it is what the ESV translates. So what is that way out? What are the ways that we can resist and fight? If I'm aware of it, then what am I going to do when those voices come? I'll give you two, and then we're done. These are, are in the text. I think there's tons more, but here are the two that I see. The first one is this. You resist the devil not by your words, but by the words of God. You resist the devil not by your words, but by the words of God. The devil's been around for thousands of years, and he knows humanity better than you do. And he knows you better than you. And if you try to battle with temptation by your words, you will fail. You will fail. Every time that the devil came and tempted Jesus, what did he say? Say it out loud. What did he say? It is written. It is written. It is written. When Jesus confronts the devil, he puts him down by the means of a book. It is in writing. And he quoted it. And so if Jesus is showing us that the way you resist the temptation is by using the words of God, why would we ever think there's a better way? Why would we even think that I can do this without the words of God? That I can go through life and just kind of make it happen on my own and when that shows up, I'll be able to... Why would we think that? If Jesus has come in order to show how humanity was supposed to live, then the very words of God need to be our life. Greater is he that is in you than the he that is in the world. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then who's the he that is in you? The Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God uses the words of God in order to help us resist and fight when temptation comes, it will come. It's present now for some of you in this room. You will be tempted. And so look, guys, look, please hear me. It's not like, it's not like Jesus, you know, took out Deuteronomy 6 and Deuteronomy 8 and just, you know, crammed all those words in his head so that when the Satan would come, he would shoot back at him. no. These passages, this book was just a part of his life. This is what he heard as a, as a child when he would go to the temple. Like, this was a part of his life. They became him so that when Satan would come and tempt him like he did, it just came out. It reminds me of um, 
Now, the story that he used one time with the disciples, they went off and tried to cast out this demon, and they couldn't do it, and they came back to Jesus and go, hey, we're having a little trouble with this one. He's a, he's a doozy, right? It's kind of what, what they say. And then what did Jesus respond back to him? He says, well, this one comes out by what? Prayer and fasting. And it's interesting what he did next. He didn't go and pray or fast. He just cast the demon out. He didn't pray. He didn't go, hey, give me a couple days. I got to fast for a little bit, right, so I can come back and deal with it. No, no, he didn't do that. So what, what is Jesus saying? He's saying that that's a way of life. Fasting and prayer is a way of life. You listening to your father in his word is a way of life. It's a practice their habits, they're shaping your loves. And so look, I'm not telling you to go home tonight and find all the passages that deal with lust and memorize all those. Because then we're using the word of God as some kind of magic formula. That, oh, I'm going to throw that word out there and I'll fight him. No, what I'm telling you to do is to commune with the Father. The Word of God is here not for you to find these little trinkets that you can throw back at the Satan whenever you get tempted. No, the Word of God is here so that you can know this Father who's your dad. So you can hear him speaking to you so you can better know who you are so that when those temptations come and they will come, it's not necessarily you're going to remember a verse, but you're going to remember something about the very core of who you are now. Your identity now in Jesus Christ. Who am I? Here comes the accusations. Oh, you're a loser. You're not loved. You're not accepted. Here they come all the time. What are you going to battle with that? Well, here's what you battle. Here's what the word of the Father says about you. You are justified. You're a whole. You are complete. You're a holy one. You're a brother, a sister of Jesus Christ. God is your father. These are the truths that you want in your little DNA, so to speak, so that when it comes, it just comes out. But if reading this book is not a part of your practice, then you don't stand a chance. Satan is that powerful. I know for some of you, you're thinking, man, that just sounds like a lot of work. Sounds like sacrifice. And I want to say, yeah, it is. But you're one decision away from wrecking your life. Can, can that not wake us up just a little bit? Maybe create some good anxiety in our life? where maybe we change some habits and say, man, I, I want to know the Father because I want to better know who I am. You can't defeat and resist the devil with your own words. You have to do it with the words of God. So get them here. Get them here. The second one is this. Confess your temptation. I didn't say confess and repent because it's not sin to be tempted. Jesus didn't sin because he was tempted. That's part of 
human being living in a fallen world with a fallen body. But I do believe that there is power in confessing what you're being tempted with. And I don't think I'm making a massive leap here, but it seems like that's kind of what Jesus is doing here, not for his sake, but our sake. He's letting them know, hey, this is how I was tempted. This is what was going on. This is what's happening inside of me. This is how difficult it was. Guys, if you don't hear anything else or hear anything I've said, listen to me. As long as you keep it in the dark, it has power. As long, whatever it is, as long as you keep it hidden, it has power. That's one thing that I told Conlon over that course of that weekend. It was that. So look, buddy, you're going to forget everything we talked about here. Maybe not. There will be a few things you might remember. Uh, but you're going to forget a lot of it. But listen to me, man. Don't hide. Don't hide. Don't give it power. Bring it to the light. A couple weeks ago, we did a, a kind of a, a lead pastor's retreat. We do these about three times a year. And one of the things we're working through over the next uh, year and a half together is we're kind of going through um, kind of this um, uh, pastoral um, cohort with a guy named Elliot Grudem. And so each time we get together, we kind of work through some exercises. Not like physical exercises, but like, <laughs> like uh, just thinking, praying, reflecting on our lives, that kind of stuff. And so one of the things that we did uh, over the course of these three days is we, um, we kind of storied our ministry call and like in ministry. So I've done a lot of storing in my life. And what I just mean by that is just where uh, I've done a lot of work on just kind of thinking about my family of origin and the impact that it's had on my life. I've done some work on just thinking through how I came to faith in Christ. All those are kind of stories. And you're looking at these stories and seeing where God stepped in, where he showed things, where, uh, where you're learning things about yourself. So this one, I've, I've never done something like this. I never thought about like the day that God called me into ministry, and then just think about your years in ministry. So this encompasses 28 years, which I didn't realize that until I knew it, but I just didn't know it. You know what I'm saying? It's like one of those things where like, oh, wow, this is a long time. <laughs> I was 21 when I started this, and now I'm 49. This is 28 years. And so um, I, I'm not going to go into detail of all that he's said to do, but obviously he had post-it notes, and you just kind of thought about events and circumstances and people, and you just kind of put those down, and then you begin to make order out of them. And he told you to kind of divide up your, if you can, in chapters. And so I've got kind of three chapters of this 28 years. One chapter was in Ohio where I was trying to convince Kathy to marry me and serve at a church. Uh, it, it worked, finally. It took a little while. Um, yeah, so that's a whole other story in and of itself. Uh, and then um, we moved here to, into Kentucky, back where I, I grew up, and spent several years as a youth minister at church just up the road. And then chapter three is, is here, uh, the work that God's been doing here. The pink notes are painful moments, all right? And there's a lot in the sojourn stuff, but it has nothing to do with you guys. <laughs> I promise you, there's a lot of joy. But man, uh, there's just other things that have happened over the last eight years uh, that's made sometimes this, this very hard. Um, so, but the Lord's been gracious and kind and good. And I'm still here, right? Still got hair a little bit. Um, and, but it's, it's going away too. Uh, but one of the things that he had us do once we laid it all out, and maybe you see this a little bit, he had you kind of write, like put an X in some of the post-its. 
And that X was to be uh, a, a place where you just sense God uh, just showed himself in a really powerful way. There was just something that happened, event, circumstance, or person where he showed up in a powerful way, and then you put an X there, and then you reflected upon it. And so, okay, like, what, uh, what happened there? How did, how did this event continue to help you uh, live into the story that, that God is writing in your life? And so one of those X's uh, was kind of in my youth ministry days when I was here in Kentucky. And I remember this, man, like it was yesterday. I can still visually see this. Uh, there was a, a period of time for probably several months where the whispering in my head was a constant, you're going to fail. You're going to blow it. You're going to do something that is going to destroy your family and destroy your ministry. That's what's going to happen to you. That was the voice that was constantly in my mind. And I remember being at an infuge, uh, which is kind of like a, a week-long camp for, for students. And we were in St. Louis, Missouri. And I, this week, it was, it was so loud. Like, it was paralyzing me. I mean, it was just so loud in my head. And I remember one of the services, man, right before it started, like, I was just done. And I didn't know, like, honestly, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know. I, I was just done. I, I'm done hearing all this. I had not done any, anything wrong. Hadn't given in to any kind of temptation here. It just was constantly in my head. And so I grabbed uh, Brandon Connor, who at that time was uh, working in our middle school department, and I just grabbed him outside and said, all right, man, this is what's going on in my head. And some of it was quite embarrassing. But I had to do something with this and get it in the light. And I would love to say that from that moment on, I never dealt with it. But I will say this, from that moment on, it was lighter. It no longer felt like a big elephant on my chest. For some of you in this room, that's God's invitation for you this morning. You're being tempted, and you're just keeping it to yourself. I can't share this. This would be humiliating. This would be embarrassing. I can't share this. This is pathetic. As long as you keep it to yourself, it will have power. So maybe you came with a friend and you trust this friend, then I want to invite you this morning to confess this temptation to your friend. Maybe you're here with a spouse, and you have a healthy enough relationship to where your spouse can handle this. Some spouses may not be able to handle this. It may not be wise for you to do this with your spouse. But maybe you've got a healthy enough relationship where you can just grab her this morning. Don't wait. What are you waiting for? You walk out of here, you'll convince yourself not to share it. Get it in the open. We have leaders and pastors that are in the back. That's not space for you to do that. Then go back there and say, hey, this is what I'm dealing with. Pray for me. You don't resist the devil by your own words. You resist it by the words of God. And you confess your temptation.
I'll end with this. Um, the reality is this, is that all of us in this room have given in. There's not a single one of us in this room that can stand up and say, I've never given in to temptation. That's why all of us in here need Jesus. You see, his defeat and his victory is our victory. What it say in the last verse? Then the devil left him. Jesus won. And when I'm in Christ, that victory is my victory. So that when I, when I sin and when I give in, and some of you right now are feeling guilt and conviction about it because you gave in this week. So what are you doing with that? If you're in Christ, you have a place to go. His name is Jesus. He's your advocate. And you can go to him right now. First John tells us, confess your sins. And he is faithful and just. And who is that? He, Jesus. Faithful and just to forgive you. And listen, this is the beautiful part, isn't it? And cleanse you from all unrighteousness. His victory is your victory so you don't have to sit this morning in guilt and in shame. You can get up today and say, God, I am sorry. I am sorry. I repent. And he's not like this. He's like this. Oh, yeah. It's okay. I got you. You're in my son. You're one with him. So if that's you here this morning, then I would encourage you, don't leave here without confessing that. Don't carry that baggage. Don't carry that weight. You don't have to. You don't have to. Let's pray together.